Wonderful. Thank you so much. How many of you brought your Bible with you this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building this morning? And uh, thank you for bringing your Bible. Always bring your Bible with me, uh, with you when you come to church. Check behind me. Be sure I'm not preaching out of Sears in the Roebuck catalog. You never know. And so you'll want to check behind. The Bible said to prove all things and hold fast that which is good. So thank you for bringing your Bible with you today. Well, let's open our Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 7 this morning. Now, I have an old Schofield Bible. If you do, that's page number 1004, or the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book in the uh, New Testament. I want to read some verses here in just a moment, and I want to ask you to leave your Bibles open and stay with me for just a moment. I'll preach about 30 maybe 32 or 3 minutes and we'll be done on our way home in just a little bit. But I trust by the time we get through that there'll be some people that'll get on their eternal way home. Amen? And you know what I'm talking about. They'll get saved, get it settled today that they're saved. In our afternoon service at 5.30, one of our boys, one of our men, has gone out to pastor a church now. Brother Greg Hall has taken the Blackwater Baptist Church up in Ararat, North Carolina. And so we're going to be ordaining him in our service tonight. So we'll take some time to take care of all that. And we'll have you out of here at the regular time. We'll move things along. And uh, so it's going to be a good service. We love Brother Greg, Miss Renee. Going to miss them dearly, but glad that God has sent them out uh, to take a little bit of woodland with them and take it to somebody, somebody else, you know, that might need it along the way. And uh, so we'll do that tonight in our service at 530. I encourage you to be here for that, all right? Matthew chapter 7. If you're there, would you say Amen. All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. You know, we've been in a series of sermons recently from the Gospel of Matthew. And as I've told you, the Gospel of Matthew is that one book of our Bible that presents to us the Lord Jesus as the King. As I've said many times throughout this series, Matthew himself had met the king on a pre uh, previous prior occasion. Matthew was a tax collector for the Roman Empire. And one day, while going about his just business, everyday business of collecting taxes, the king passed by. Boy, I pray the king will pass by again today. The king passed by. Little did Matthew know that that would be the first day of the rest of his life. I prayed coming down the road this morning that this would be the first day of the rest of somebody else's life in this service today. You see, the Lord Jesus, the king, had passed by, and as he did so, he called to Matthew. He said, Matthew, follow me. And the Bible said, Matthew rose up, and begin following the Lord Jesus. And as they say, the rest is history. Matthew left his business, a very lucrative business, and from that day forward, he began following the Lord Jesus. Matthew then made it his life's ambition to introduce others to the king as well. On a previous occasion, he had a great big supper at his house, invited a lot of his friends over, but there was an ulterior motive for that service. It was for more than just fellowship and for fun and for food. It was to introduce all of his friends and his buddies to the Lord Jesus. And the Bible said at that supper that day, as Matthew told his friends about the king, many of them believed on Jesus. But you know, perhaps the greatest way that Matthew introduced people to the king was to write a book about him. That is the gospel of Matthew. You know, Matthew being a tax collector meant that he was good at keeping records and accounts. And as, G as he began to follow Jesus, he began to keep an account or a record of the life of the Lord Jesus. He kept an account of the words of Jesus as well as the works of Jesus. As Jesus would speak, Matthew would write. 
And as Jesus would minister, Matthew would watch and then rush home at the end of the day and write it all down. Sometime later, after the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Savior, Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, compiled all those records together in a book, and we call that book the Gospel of Matthew. And we're all the way up now to the end of Matthew chapter number 7. This is the title, uh, this is that part of the Bible that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It is without doubt the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to forget that Jesus was a preacher. While he was the Savior, and he was that, while he is the Son of God, and he is that, he was also a preacher. And my, how Jesus could preach. The Bible said that when he got through preaching this sermon, if you look over at verse 28, that the people were astonished at his doctrine. I mean, they were blown away by the things that Jesus had preached. Well, he's bringing this sermon now to a close. And as he does so, he, he brings this series, uh, this sermon to a close by giving us a series of contrasts. In other words, he said, here's, here's one thing, let's contrast that with another thing. For instance, if you'll look back at verse 15 and 16, he contrasts the two types of prophets. He says there's false prophets and there's true prophets. He talks about two types of trees. There's good trees and there's corrupt trees. He talks about two types of fruit. There's good fruit and there's evil fruit. And then at the end of this sermon, he talks about two types of builders, two types of houses, and two types of foundations that people are building their lives upon. And then last week, we looked at verse 13 and verse number 14. As Jesus told us, there are two types of roads or ways upon which humanity may travel. But you know, kind of sandwiched in between all that, we come to some of the most serious, some of the most somber, some of the most soul-searching words in all of the Bible. So what I want to do this morning is I want to stop. I want to read verse 21, verse 22, and verse 23. And i got to tell you something. We're on the eve of Halloween. Halloween, we always think about people being scared at Halloween. But I want to read to you some of the scariest words that Jesus ever said while he was here upon this earth. Look at verse 21. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then, Jesus said, will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, last week, if you think back, as we were talking about those two types of roads, the one truth that we took away from that text was that if what Jesus said was true, and it is, then there are more people that are headed to hell than there are headed to heaven. Now, I told you last Sunday, there's 7.9 billion people upon the earth today. Almost 8 billion people on the earth today. There are 333 million people in America. But if what Jesus said back in verse 13 and 14 is true, and it is, then more people in America are headed to hell than they are headed to heaven. More people in this world are headed down more than they are headed up. But now Jesus comes and he narrows it down just a little bit further. 
Now he's beginning to talk about the people who think they're on the right road. People who think they're headed in the right direction. You know, I told you last week that of that 7.9 billion people on the earth, 2.1 billion claim to be Christian. And of course, that word Christian is just an umbrella and it encompasses Jehovah Witnesses and Muslims uh, or Mormons and, and Baptists and Methodists and a lot of other things upon this earth. But can I tell you something? Jesus said that of that 2.1 billion people who think they're on the right road, a lot of them are, in fact, on the wrong road. In fact, can I tell you this? What we're going to take away from this text this morning is this, that many, there are a lot of people who think they are saved when in reality they're not. A lot of people who think they're saved when in reality they're not. Remember I asked you last week to think about this on that broad road that leads to destruction? There are a lot of depraved people. Our world is full of depraved people. I'm talking about murderers and robbers and child molesters, uh, molesters and rapists. Our world today is full of depraved people. But not only are, are, not only are there depraved people on that road, there are decent people on that road, headed in the wrong direction. Decent people, good citizens, good taxpayers, good workers, hard pay, people who pay their bills, people that are good to their family, decent people, but they're headed in the wrong direction. But remember last week I told you this, perhaps the saddest group that's headed in the wrong direction are deceived people. I wonder this morning if there's anybody sitting in this room today and you think you're on the right road, headed in the right direction, but in reality, you're on the wrong road, headed in the wrong direction. People who are deceived. You see, Jesus told some stories here while he was here upon this earth that seemed to illustrate this great truth that many people who think they're saved in reality are lost. Jesus told the story one time about ten virgins. And five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Five of them had the oil. Five of them did not have the oil. But meantime, the bridegroom came and the five with no oil found out they were not at all ready for the coming of the bridegroom. Now, if what Jesus said in that text is true, and it is, then I think we glean from that that five out of every ten people who think they're saved are in reality not saved. But Jesus went further than that. Jesus told another story one time in our Bible about a man, a farmer, that went out to sow his fields. And as he sowed the seeds, some fell, fell on, on, by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured that seed. He sowed some and, and the Bible said that it didn't have much soil and, and so it only sprang up but then it withered away. And then he sowed some among the thorns and the thorns choked out the seed. Only one-fourth of the seed that he sowed fell on good soil and brought forth fruit. I think Jesus is illustrating there that only one out of every four people are in reality saved. But then he narrows the focus more than that. Because on another occasion, he told the story about ten lepers. They had this dreaded, this loathsome disease called leprosy. And Jesus healed all ten of those lepers. But only one returned to say thank you. Jesus may indicate from that story that one out of every ten 
Only one of every ten are saved. Now, you do the averages. You take the five out of ten. You take the one out of four. You take the one out of ten and put all that together. Ladies and gentlemen, I think we actually glean from all that that probably only only a little more than three percent of the people who say that they're saved are in reality saved by the grace of God. I'm telling you, that's scary to think about. To think that people sitting right here in a church that preaches the Bible, that preaches the gospel, to think that people right here in this church think that they're on the right road when in reality they're on the wrong road. Now, i got to tell you something. I want to stop and level with you this morning. The purpose of this message is not to cause anybody in here to doubt their salvation. That's not what this is about. I don't want to be a preacher that raises doubt. I don't want to be a preacher that's always preaching about question marks. That's not the purpose of this message this morning. The purpose of this message is to bring assurance to people. I want you to know when you walk out these doors, I am on the right way. I am headed in the right direction. And when I die or Jesus comes, I am going to heaven. I'm not trying to get church people resaved this morning. There's no such thing in the Bible as getting resaved. You do understand that. Occasionally, somebody will come up to me and say, Hey, preacher, I'd like to get rebaptized, and I have to go into it and tell them there's no such thing as rebaptism, and there certainly is no such thing as getting resaved this morning. By the way, if all we do is get our same church members saved over and over and over again, we aren't growing. We aren't reaching anybody. I have occasionally hear of revivals, and I'm not being critical at all, but I hear revivals. Somebody said, man, we had 75 saved at our fall revival meeting. Well, thank the Lord for that, but they were 75 church members. Your church is not going to grow if all you do is get those same people saved over and over and over again. There's a lost world out here that's going to hell. We've got to reach that crowd, not get our same people saved over and over and over again. The purpose this morning is not to cause you to doubt. I'm not trying to get anybody in here to get re-saved because there's no such thing. But by the same token, this Bible cautions us This Bible warns us not to be deceived. I'd be a pretty poor preacher, and I am anyway, but I'd even be a poor preacher if I didn't stand up from time to time, look you in the eye and say, hey, don't be deceived. Be sure that what you've got is the real, the real thing. Let me tell you something about the devil. The devil is not just the master of destruction. Now, we know that he is. The Bible said that he walketh about as a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8, seeking whom he may devour. We know he's destroying churches. We, he, we know he's destroying nations. We, we know he's destroying homes. He's destroying individuals. I get all that, but I'll tell you something. He's not just the master of destruction. He's also the master of deception. And he'll get you thinking that you're okay when in reality you're not okay. Old Vance Habner, an old-fashioned Southern Baptist preacher, said it like this. He said, the church is no longer a force for evangelism. The church is now a field for evangelism. Billy Sunday said it like this. The church doesn't need new church members. It needs church members made new. I wonder who I'm speaking to this morning. And for a while, you've known something's wrong. For a while, you've known something's missing. For a while, the Spirit of God has been troubling 
your heart, been convicting you, been trying to get you to get this matter settled, I'm telling you, today is your day. Today could be the, the day that changes the rest of your life. So what is Jesus saying in this text? Would you look with me now in this text? I want to leave with you three things that this text warns us about this morning. First of all, this text warns us, number one, about empty words. About empty words. Now, if you look at verse 21, it starts off by saying this, not everyone that saith unto me. Jesus said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 22, he says, this many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Now, I've got to stop and tell you something. You hear me and hear me well. There's more to salvation than just confession. Now, hear me. There's more than just confession of lips. There must be commitment of life. Look down at verse 21. Jesus said it best here. He said, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to heaven. But I'll tell you who is going to heaven. That old boy that's interested in doing the will of my Father, which is in heaven, that's the boy that's going to heaven. That's the woman that's going to heaven. That's got more than just a confession. They've got a commitment of their life. You can say, Lord, Lord, and still be, still be lost. Can I tell you something? At the end of time, did you know our Bible tells us that at the end of time that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, Philippians 2.9? The Bible said things in heaven, every angel, things in earth, every human being, things under the earth, every demon and every devil in hell one day is going to hit their knees and bow and say, Jesus, you're Lord but that don't make them saved. And just because you say he's the Lord, just because you say the Lord Jesus don't mean that you're saved. Empty words. Let me show you what Jesus said about this. The words of Jesus, look up on the screens. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not those things which I say. Hey, how can you say he's Lord? And yet you go out and live your life the way you want to live it. If I understand it, when I got saved, I not only got into a family with a father. I not only got into a flock with a shepherd. I got into a, I got into a field as a slave, as a servant with a master. He's the master. He's the Lord. I don't tell him what he's going to do. He tells me what I'm going to do. I don't live like I want to do. I want to live like he wants me to live. There is a desire in my heart to do those things which he said, Lord, Lord, how can you say that? And then you don't do what he tells you to do. Can I show you some other verses? Look at this. 1 John 2 verse 4 says this. Boy, this is a good one. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments. Say the next three words with me. Is a John said, if you say you know him, but you don't do what he says to do in this Bible, John said, Brother Tim didn't say it. Don't be mad at me. I'm just preaching. I'm just a mailman putting the letters in the, in, the, in, the, in the mailbox. John said, you're a liar. In fact, in the Greek, he says, you're a low-down, dirty dog liar. I mean, I'm just... You're a liar. And the truth's not in him. Watch this verse right before it. 1 John 2, 3, and hereby we do know that we know him. How? If we keep his 
commandments. Nobody in this room, including this preacher, does the will of God, obeys God 100% of the time. But I tell you, bless your heart, when I don't obey Him, there is something called conviction. There is something called chastisement that grips my heart. I'm telling you, conviction gets a hold of my heart and chastisement gets a hold of my hide when I don't do what God wants me to do. I'm telling you, it's like a siren goes off in my soul. It's like caution lights. It's like arms lower down. I mean, uh, uh, you know, God warning me, hey, you better do what I want you to do. But there's a lot of people, and they go out and live any way they want to live, and there's never no conviction. And there's never no chastisement. Jesus said, how can you call me Lord and you don't even do what I ask you to do? Empty, empty, empty words. Listen to me. Somebody once said this, you call me master, but obey me not. You call me light, but see me not. You call me the way, but walk me not. You call me wise, but follow me not. You call me the life, but live me not. You call me fair, but love me not. You call me rich, but ask me not. You call me eternal, but seek me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Empty words. It's easy to walk down the aisle and say, Jesus is Lord. It's easy to stand up in church and say, Jesus is Lord. But it's just empty words if there's no commitment with your life. Amen. Jesus said, beware, beware of empty words. But then he takes it a step further. Look again at verse 22, and he says, don't only beware of empty words, but now he says, beware of earthly works. Look what he said now in verse 22. Many will say to me, have, uh, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Hey, can I tell you something? We're living in a world that is religious. Can I tell you something? Our world today is rotten, but religious. Our world is corrupt, but it's churchy. Our world is depraved, but it is devout. Our world today is absolutely full of religion. I didn't know this, but in the United States of America, I found this out this week. In the United States of America, there are 313 different religions in the United States of America. I'm not talking, you say, oh yeah, Methodist, Mormons. No, 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 no. That's Christianity. That, that's an umbrella in and of itself. Outside of that, there are 312 other religions in the United States of America, most of which I can't even pronounce. I didn't know we had so many religions in America. Then I found this out. There are 4,200 religions in the world. Now you stop and think about it, friend. We are a religious, a religious people a reli living on a religious world. And people are very active in their religion. If you look there at verse 22, here's these people, religious people. And the Bible said they have prophesied or preached. They, they've cast out devils. They've done many wonderful works. I'm telling you, they are active in their religion. But religion don't get you to heaven. Religious activity don't get you to heaven. If that's all you got, you're still on the wrong road, headed in the wrong direction. Buddy, get rid of your religion and your activity and trust the Savior today and be saved. Yes, sir. Religion, religious activity all over America today. 
All over America, people are going to go into cathedrals. They're going to walk into mosques, into sanctuaries and churches. And they're going to light candles and count beads and, and, uh, and enter confessionals and say prayers and give money and attend classes and sing hymns. But they're as lost as a ball in high weeds. I think if what Jesus said in verse number 22 when he said, many will say to me in that day. I think we got a picture here of the great white throne judgment. And in that day, people are going to stand before God and in one hand, they'll have a tithing receipt. In the other hand, they'll have a baptismal certificate. In their back pocket, they've got a church membership form. And they're going to stand there and say, Jesus, look what I've done for you. And Jesus is going to say, but you never knew me. You may have been very religious. You may have been caught up in religious activity. But none of that can take the place of a relationship with the Savior. I want you to look up on the screen right quick. Look at this equation. Watch this. Religion minus relationship equals rubbish. Just a souped up word for garbage. That's right. You can be religious, but if you don't have a relationship, all you've got is a pile of rubbish. It won't mean beans when you stand before God. You see, empty words, earthly works, all of that is rejected by the Lord Jesus. But can I just, can I close with this? Watch this now. There are empty words there are earthly works, but it all ends in eternal woes. Look what he said in verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I want to emphasize in verse 23 the word never. Jesus is not talking about people who used to be saved, but they're no longer saved. I think, I think we know that salvation is the eternal work of God. How many of y'all are with me on that? I mean, the only kind of salvation that God has is eternal salvation. Whatsoever God doeth, Ecclesiastes 3.14, it shall be forever. What about John 3.16? What a verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not, what? Perish, but have what? Eternal life, eternal life. First John 2, 25, this is the promise that he has promised us even eternal life. Titus 1, 2, God cannot lie. God said, I'm giving you eternal life. I cannot lie. You've got eternal life. He's not talking about people that used to be saved that are no longer saved. He's talking about people who were never saved. Religious, but lost. I want you to look up on the screen this morning and as we kind of sum this up, let me say three things to you. Understand this. Confession is never a substitute for commitment. Religion is never a substitute for relationship. And service is never a substitute for salvation. How sad and how tragic indeed for a person to think they're on the right road only to find at the end of the road they were on the wrong road. Deceived 
religious but lost. I read this story this week as a true story. It's, it's a little bit funny, but it proves a point. There was this elderly lady. This elderly lady had gone shopping in a grocery store, and when she came out of the grocery store, she had two bags in her hand. She walked up to her car, and to her surprise, there were four white males sitting inside of her car. Immediately, she thinks her car is being stolen. So she drops her bags of groceries. She's a feisty grandma. She reaches into her pocket and pulls out a 38 Smith & Wesson handgun. She strikes a police pose and orders the men to get out of the car. Well, you, imagine, you can imagine what they do. They peel out of there like rats off a sinking ship. I mean, they, they don't only get out of the car. They take off running. Well, she feels pretty good about what she's done. She gathers up her groceries, puts them in the back seat, gets in the car, sticks the key in the ignition, but it won't crank. She's in the wrong car. Her car was the same make, same model, same color, but it was about four or five spaces down from that car. She had just run four men out of their own car. Well, she gets her groceries, puts them in her car then, finding out what she's done, and decides, I better go to the police station and, and try to make this right. So she walks in. The man behind the desk says, can I help you? She said, yes, sir. She started telling the story. Well, he starts dying laughing. And he points down to the end of the counter where there are four white, pale-faced men standing there reporting a carjacking by an elderly grandma. <laughs> True story. She thought she was right. She thought she got, she got in the right car. She found out, though, she didn't have a key that would start the ignition. And ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you something? The only key that will get you in through the gate of heaven is a key called Jesus. Any other key you may try to stick into the lock of the gate of heaven will destine you to eternal woes separated from God forever and ever and ever. But good news, you don't have to die in that state. Good news, you can get off the wrong road, headed in the wrong direction, and get on the right road, headed in the right direction by receiving Jesus as your Savior. Now, I preached the whole message to get to this one point, and I'm done. I get it. You know, I understand there's an embarrassment. There's a certain, and there's a certain humiliation having to admit that we were wrong. I get all that. You know, one of the things, one of the reasons that people that are unsaved but their church members don't get saved is because they're worried about what others are going to think about them or what others are going to say about them. And the devil convinces them that they're on, a, on an island all by themselves. That, 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 that they're the only one in this boat. They're the only one that's ever had this experience. So what I want to do in the closing minutes of this message this morning, I want to set your mind at ease about your condition this morning. I want you to understand you're not the only one that's been in that boat. You are not the only one on that island. There are scores of people who make professions of faith only sometime later to understand they were wrong, they were deceived, and they get saved sometime later. Now, to prove my point, I want to ask you all a question. Here's a Gammons poll. Not Gallup, but Gammons. How many people in this room today, you made a profession of faith, but sometime later, three, four years, five, ten years, whatever, you made a profession of faith, sometime later, you got genuinely saved. Would you stand up right now? 
Everybody in the room that falls into that category. Stand up. Please remain standing for just a moment. Everybody like that. I want you to stand up. All right, remain standing just a second. And Bubba, you mean to tell me that you, you're the only person that's ever been through this? Look at the people that are standing in this auditorium this morning who were just like you were. And, and, they, and they were, they were, they were uh, made a profession, but it wasn't real. But they realized that sometime later on. And by the way, can I ask all of you that are standing right now, how many of you are glad that you did? That's not good enough. How many of you are glad that you got saved? I'm so glad I got saved. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, I, want to ask, I should have had you all just remain standing, but don't. But I just want to ask you one follow-up question, since this is a, a debate. One follow-up question to the follow-up question I just asked you, and that's this. How many of you were laughed at when you finally got saved? I tell you what, if people are right with God, they don't laugh about stuff like that. They rejoice about stuff like that. I mean, they're happy that somebody finally gets it settled in their mind, I'm on the right road, heading in the right direction. I tell this story and I'll be done, but I've had that personally in my own life. I, I never will forget my wife and I, when we first got married, I, I say we were young, I was... 21, that was not too young. My wife was 17. By the way, we didn't have to get married. But we, we got married at that age. I had been called to preach. I got called to preach when I was 18 years old, so I was already preaching. I wasn't pastoring, but I was preaching. And so my wife, I married her. She told me she was saved. Unsaved people aren't supposed to marry saved people, vice versa. So we, I mean, she was saved. But we went to church one night. The preacher preached. And God got a hold of her heart. And that night in that service, my wife got saved. A preacher's wife. And she got saved. I never will forget when we were on our way home, she looked over at me. I mean, I was shocked. I mean, I thought she was saved. She looked over at me and she was crying. And she said, I've ruined you. I've ruined you. Here you are, preacher. I, preacher's wife. And I walked down there tonight and I got saved. I've ruined you. You will never preach again. And I look back at her, and to the best of my ability, I want to give you the exact word I say, the exact words I said. I said, honey, it don't matter if I ever preach again, as long as I know that my family's going to be in heaven with me when life is over. That's all that matters. And of course, I have preached again a time or two since those days. But can I tell you something, friend? The devil's a liar. He is a liar. He will keep you headed on the wrong road in the wrong direction, even though you know you're heading in the wrong direction. He'll keep you there because you're captive to the fear and the snare of men, the fear of men, and you're so afraid of what others are going to say about you. Why don't you sit all that down this morning? Just sit it all down and say, look, I've got a problem. There's something missing. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be saved. And this morning, get it settled that you're on the right road, heading in the right direction because you receive Jesus as your Savior. Amen and amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray this morning.